This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. It is so good to be here with you today as we conclude our Daniel series. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, this has been a series um, that it, we've talked about some tough truths. We've talked about our, our culture and how culture kind of tends to go against where we are as Christians and, and just learning how to stand strong. And if you've been through uh, this series with us, week one, it was all about truth and grace, that as the church, we want to hold high the standard of God's truth. God's truth is God's truth. As a church, we're going to hold it, the standard of God's truth high while offering grace to everyone we meet. Week two, we talked about the Babylon mentality which is a mentality that lowers God, says God's not important. God's not who he says he is. It changes who we think God is or who who the world tells us God is. It lowers God and it elevates myself. It tells me I'm way more important than I am. It tells me I'm way more special and that, hey, I can be like God. I can be God. And at the end of the day, that Babylon mentality leads to insanity. And if you live in it, you're going to feel crazy. And then last week, we talked about how to stand up in a world, in a bow down world, how to stand strong Uh, and stand firm when the world around us, when culture pressures us and tells us we need to believe certain things or go certain ways that are against what the Bible teaches us. And so this week, as we conclude this series, we're going to, I have a really, really, uh, really uh, creative title for us today. It's uh, when culture attacks, be like Daniel. Be like Daniel. Overall, this series has been about standing firm in our faith for what, the, for what we believe in, all while learning to love people well, offering grace to people well, and hopes that they would see Jesus in us. And so today we're going to take a look at our final story in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to see some pretty amazing characteristics of who Daniel is. And there's, there are so many things that we can learn from Daniel, and I'm going to just kind of walk through this, ser- this, uh, this story very quickly because I got a lot today. So just get comfy pull out your notebook and just just go, right? That's right. You're going to be here for a while. All right. So where we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter six, if you remember, we've been, the king, we've been dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar throughout this entire story, throughout this entire book. Well, there's a new king in town. There's a, there's a new boss. There's a new guy. And his name is Darius. And King Darius came to power in a really interesting and kind of crazy way, if you know the story. Um, what happens is after, after Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebi as we've been calling him, after Nebuchadnezzar comes through, um, there's a new king named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is having a great time. He's loving life as the king. And he decides, I'm going to have this great feast. And we're going to have this big party. And so he pulls out all the sacred vessels, the cups and the plates, the silver from the, the temple that they had raided when they whenever they conquered Judah and brought all of the Israelites into exile. Remember, we talked about that in week one, they raided that temple. So he pulls out all of these sacred vessels, these holy vessels from the temple. He's using them to party with, using them to eat on, which is just blasphemy to God. And so as they're, they're doing this, out of nowhere, if you can just imagine this, there's this crazy party happening on, going on. Out of nowhere, a giant hand shows up. Now, you know, at this party, they're probably drinking a little bit and they're probably going, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? (laughs) Is that real? This giant hand shows up and it writes some stuff on a wall and (laughs) Belshazzar's like, get Daniel, (laughs) get Daniel. So they bring in Daniel and essentially what Daniel says is, 
hate to break it to you, but your reign is over, buddy. And what he essentially says is, tonight your kingdom is finished and God's about to give it over to the Medes and the Persians. Sorry about you. And then that night, King Belshazzar is killed. And now we got the new guy in charge, King Darius. And that's who we're dealing with here. So Daniel, this guy who was exiled, who was brought out of his home country into this new place. And you're thinking life's over. He's outlasting everybody. (laughs) He's outlasting all these kings. There he is. We got King Darius. There's a new king, new administration in town. And usually when you got a new administration, you do what? You clean house, right? Well, let's see what they do. Daniel 6, 1, it says, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over the three administrations, including Daniel, these satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Essentially, he's going to appoint these men all around the country, and their job was to help the kingdom flourish, to help things go well for the kingdom, right? And so Daniel, it says, distinguished himself among the administrators because he had extraordinary, because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the entire realm. So here we have new king, same Daniel. Daniel, here we see once again, it says he had distinguished himself. Why? Because of his extraordinary spirit, not because of his talent, not because of his ability, not because of his incredible good looks, right? You can have it all like me, right? But it it was not because of that. It was his extraordinary spirit. I want you to make a mental note there. We're going to come back to that. So here he is again in charge, and I'm going to continue on. Daniel 6, 4, and 5, it says, The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel. So here he's put in, he's put in charge, and now there's all these people around him who are jealous. They're going to try to want to bring him down because of the power that he has. It says, But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So here we have these these men who are jealous of Daniel. And I don't know if it's political posturing. I don't know if it's because of the power he has. I don't know if it's because of the favor he has with King Darius. But for whatever reason, there's these men who don't like Daniel and they're going to try to bring him down. The problem is as they're examining Daniel's life, They see a man of good character. They see a man who works hard. And they say, well, the only way we're going to bring this guy down is if we can somehow trip him up because of his faith. Because of his faith. And so they go to King Darius. And much like last week when we talked about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be some suck-ups. And so they're going to come in, they're going to talk to King Darius. Oh, King Darius, how great you are. You're so amazing. You are the most high king. Matter of fact, you know, Darius, you're, you're, a, you're a god. You know that, King Darius? Babylon mentality creeping in. You're, you're a god. And there's all these people that are praying to all these other gods, King Darius. I don't know if that's exactly how the conversation went, but this is what I see in my head, right? There's all these other, these, all these other people praying to all these other gods. And, and King Darius, you're so great. The only person they should be praying to is you. Tell you what, King Darius, we just so happen to have this piece of paper. It's a decree. And if you'll sign it, it'll say that everybody has to pray for you, pray to you for 30 days. And if they don't, we're going to throw them in the lion's den. We're going to throw them in the lion's den. And King Darius, he likes the sound of this. You know what? I am pretty important. I am pretty big. I, you know what? I'm not too bad. You're right. I'm, I'm God, maybe I am a God, right? Maybe I am. So he signs it. He signs it. Daniel hears about this. 
And here we are. Could you imagine being in that situation? I wonder what, what, what you would do or what you would think, what you would feel. You know what Daniel does? He goes and prays. <laughs> and not the King Darius. And it's not just what I love about this isn't just that he prays, but it's how he prays. Check this out. Daniel 6.10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. <laughs> the windows in his upper room open. So he goes upstairs and poof, opens the windows, prays three times a day. <laughs> he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God just as he had done before three times that day. Every day, three times a day, windows open. Check me out. And as I, was, as I was studying this and reading this this week, I was thinking about, you know, sometimes, if I can just be honest with you guys, sometimes it's hard for me to be disciplined and have my quiet time and have my prayer time every day. Is that a struggle for anybody else sometimes? Maybe just me, right? And, and there's all these easy excuses, right, about why we might forget to pray or why we might forget to read our Bible or have that quiet time. And, and I'm thinking, like, if I was in this situation, that might be one of those days I was just like, oh, God, you know, I, I meant to. <laughs> I was just so busy, you know, life's crazy, you know, it's just, it's, you know, like that, that would have been one of those times it would have been easy for me to find an excuse not to pray. Anybody else? Right? Life is in danger. Might would have forgotten to pray that day. Just being honest. That's not what Daniel does. He doesn't just pray. He goes and prays three times a day. He has the windows open. Like he basically says, I'm going to pray. You guys do what you got to do. I'm not going to hide it. Again, it reminded me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can throw me in that furnace, king, but we just want you to know, even if we die, even if our God chooses not to save us, we will not bow down to that false idol. That's some good stuff. So, as you guys know, if you've seen VeggieTales again, <laughs> these guys discover that Daniel is not praying to King Darius. They go and tattletale. King Darius finds out that Daniel is broken the law. And something interesting happens. If you, if you read the story, it says that King Darius is heartbroken. Isn't that interesting? He's heartbroken over Daniel. He cares about Daniel. It says he's heartbroken. And it says that he set his mind on how to deliver, to deliver Daniel. So he's thinking about how can we get Daniel out of this? How can I help Daniel? I, I care about Daniel. I'm, I don't want to see him be killed. And that, isn't that interesting? Right, here we have this, this Jewish boy from, right, that he'd been conquered, exiled underneath this king over here. And he's saying, I, I want to help him get out of this. I care about him. I don't want this to happen to him. But the law is the law. And King Darius has no choice. He signed it himself. He has to put Daniel in the lion's den. And so as he's putting Daniel in the lion's den, the last thing he says to him is really interesting. He says, may the God you continually serve rescue you. Darius, I thought you were the God, man. Daniel's faith sparked something in Darius. It's interesting. Let's read this, Daniel 6, 16 through 18. It says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve, I love that, continually serve, you're faithful, Daniel, you're faithful. May your God whom you continually serve rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of the nobles so that, no, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night. Check this out. He spent the night fasting and no diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. So he's so distraught over what's happening to Daniel that he's fast all night. He can't sleep. And a lot of times they would bring in diversions 
people playing music and other things to help him sleep. I don't want none of that. I, I, and he, he, wants to, he wants to stay up all night and, and be in agony over this, right? And then dawn comes, daylight happens. So he stayed up all night, daylight happens. He hurries over to the lion's den. And it's interesting, it, he hurries, he rushes over because he has some faith in Daniel's God. He has some hope in Daniel's God that maybe, like, he threw him in a lion's den, man. I don't know, like, a lot about lions, but I don't think that would generally go well, right? But he has some faith and hope that, that maybe Daniel's God did something. So it says, at first light, uh, 6, 19 through 22, at first light the dawn at, of dawn, excuse me, the king got up. I'm so excited. I'm going over. <laughs> And hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lion's den? And then something nobody was expecting happens. Daniel spoke with the king. And I just want to say this. If I was in that situation, Daniel's first words to the king would not have been my first words. Why don't you come down here and find out for yourself? Oh, God, King Darius, right? See how them lions like you. <laughs> Daniel says, may the king live forever. Ooh, that's some humility right there. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they haven't hurt me for I was found innocent before him. Also, I like how he puts this in your side note. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, <laughs> my king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured for, why? Because he trusted God. The king then gave the command. Then, this is kind of brutal, but he throws in the families of the people who had accused Daniel in the lion's den. And it doesn't go as well for them as it does for Daniel. And there's a lot here that we learn about Daniel. I think there's a lot that we can take from Daniel just in this story. Um, and, and, and there's a lot about standing firm. There's a lot about trusting in God. And we've talked about standing firm and, and that last week. And so this week I want to actually do something different because Daniel has this incredible trust in God, this incredible faith in God. But what I want to look at is how we should or the approach we should take or the attitude we should take and the response we should take to people when people accuse us and attack us as Christians for what we believe. When, when they look at the things that we think or the way that as Christians we choose to live and attack us, how then we should respond. Because there's some interesting things about Daniel's life that we can learn about. And I'm not saying they're going to throw you in the lion's den, but people are really mean on Facebook, right? What's interesting about Daniel is that we don't even see him fight or plead his case. Like they're going to throw him in the lion's den and we don't even see him speak here other than praying until King Darius takes him out of the lion's den. And then in that moment, what he says is, may the king live forever. You say, so what, what makes that possible? Well, I think that there's some things about Daniel's life that we can learn about in dealing with a culture that, that is going to disagree with us often, that's going to hate us often that we can learn about how we can respond to it. And so I'm going to give you a few things today based on what I think we can learn from Daniel here about dealing with a culture that doesn't like us. The first one is this. The first thing, and this is to me the most important one, is we must lead with love. When culture attacks you, when culture um, disagrees with you, when culture is against you, and, that's, and I'm using culture, but that's friends, family, whatever that might look like, 
because of your faith, the first thing you must do is lead with love. When, when culture disagrees with you, when they insult you, you know what you got to do? Insult them back. Wait, no. Love them back. And I, I could be way off here, but I think that we see in Daniel and Darius's relationship that there's a love there. I think Daniel cares about Darius. You can obviously see that Darius cares about Daniel. He's distraught. He's heartbroken over the fact that Daniel's being thrown in this lion's den. And so I, I would say that that's based on the way that Daniel probably loved and cared for the king. And I'm, I'm guessing here, so I could be wrong, but... Even if I'm way off and you're like, this has nothing to do with Daniel, I still would say the first and most important principle when it comes to dealing with a culture or a world that hates us, when they attack us in hatred, we should always, always, always respond, not with hate, but with love. And really where I got that idea from was Jesus. Because Jesus didn't love well. Do you know that? Jesus didn't love well. Jesus was love. Jesus is love, and as a Christian, love is central to our faith. Not loving ourselves, yes, loving ourselves, but loving others, central to our faith. Check this out, John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says, I give you a new command that you should love one another. Check this out. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, what's that? Love for one another. He says two things there that are really hard. First, he says, love one another just as I have loved you. That is a high, high, high calling, isn't it? Because Jesus loved you to the cross. Like, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, Jesus says, Mike, I want you to love the world around you. I want you to love them like I love you. But, but Jesus, they mock me what I believe in. They call me a bigot for some of the things that, that I believe in in my faith. And Jesus says, I know something about that. Love them like I loved you. you say, but Jesus, they, they hate us. They hate Christians. They, 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 they say bad things about us. Jesus says, I know something about that. Love them like I love you. This is, if I'm honest with you, this is the one that really I usually say back. But Jesus, they disrespect me. <laughs> Jesus, don't you know how big and important I am? Don't you know, Jesus, I can't, I can't humble myself and take that. Don't you know who I am, how big and bad and important I am? Jesus said, Mike, I created the stinking universe. Shut up and love them like I love you. You're not that important. You meet in a church in elementary school. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> Jesus says the way that we love people is to be the distinguishing feature of the Christian. The way that we love people should be the distinguishing feature of the Christian. And this includes loving people who are standing up against you. Let me say it this way. No one's impressed when you love someone who loves you. It's not that impressive, right? It's easy for me to love my mommy and daddy. They're nice to me. It's the ability to love the guy who hates you, the person who's hurt you, who's insulted you, that makes Christians different. I I mentioned last week, uh, Jim Elliott. Does anybody know who Jim Elliott is? We talked about him briefly last week and I didn't even tell you his story, but his story is, I'll give you the quick snapshot because I still got like 12 more points here, um, was that Jim Elliott was a man who was a missionary. And so he went over to this indigenous people and he began to try to get to know them and, and essentially the quick story is they tricked him and they killed him and all of the people that were with him left him with his wife and 10 month old daughter alone. 
And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty sad. But for me, the most amazing part of that story, although it is very amazing that Jim Elliott died for his faith, the most amazing part of the story is his wife. Because if you know the story, what happens is after the death of her husband, she's here with her 10-month-old daughter, uh, Elizabeth Elliott. She meets two women who live near that tribe learns their language, and then she goes as a missionary to serve, love, and share Jesus with the people who killed her husband. Come on now. Like, that's impossible, right? No, that's Christian love. That's the calling that Jesus has for us, and that's something that only Jesus can help you sustain. But that's the exact point. Like Jesus saying, this is how they will know that you are Christian, by the way you love. And it's not some love like everybody else has. It's a deep love that to some people doesn't make sense because it seems impossible. Like they say, how can you love that person? Jesus is really the only answer we can have sometimes. How we love people, especially those who are against us, matters, right? Matters. Like, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a lot there. And I want to just point out some real quick things. The first thing, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, essentially, without love, all that I say is ineffective, right? He says, if I speak in, in human or angelic tongues, but do not love, I am a sounding gong or claiming symbol. Without love, all we know is insignificant. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. So if I got prophecy, I can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I know everything. I'm going to skip down. He says, but I have not love. I am nothing. So without love, all I know is insignificant. Doesn't matter. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries, I have all knowledge. And if I have faith, all faith, if I got all faith, I believe in anything so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. He says, without love, all I have, all I believe is and it's insufficient. Without love, all I give is incomplete. Verse three, he says, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love. So if I give everything, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Without love, all, all I give is incomplete. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When the world hates us, our response is love. Loving God, loving people. So number one, point one for the day, you're like, point one. Point one for the day is lead with love. Secondly, the second thing I learned here from Daniel is when the world comes against us and they're watching us and they want to accuse us, number two, we've got to live with character. We've got to live with character. Darius decided to appoint, six, Daniel 6.1, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm and over them, three administrators, including Daniel, these satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps. Why? Because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over, me, set him over the whole realm. Darius puts Daniel in this position of power because of his extraordinary spirit. Whenever the men were accusing Daniel, trying to find some fault with him to bring him down, what did they find? Can you tell me? They didn't find a thing. 
They didn't, they didn't find a thing. And I'm not saying here that, that, that you need to pretend to be perfect, but we need to live with character. We need to live with Christian character. And that includes in your job and your family and your relationships. We need to live with character. You need to work hard so that when people are examining your life, they're looking at your life, they don't have a reason to speak poorly against you. Like, let me, let me say this real simple. Like, Daniel, Daniel, the thing that made Daniel special wasn't his talent to King Darius. It was his character. It was his work ethic. And, and I would say this, it doesn't, when it comes to your job, it doesn't take a special talent to be on time. For some of us, maybe. It doesn't take a special talent to work hard, to go the extra mile. How about this? It doesn't take an extra, a special talent to encourage other people. As Christians, when we stand for our faith, there are going to be people examining your life, looking to discredit you. When they examine your life, let them see your character, let them see your work ethic, let them see your attitude. And by the way, attitude and work ethic are, uh, are, are definitely indicators of our character. When they examine your life, let them say, man, I don't, I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like her. I disagree with them. I don't like what they believe in in their faith. But I can't say anything about their character. Can't say anything about the way they live their life. I can't say anything about their work ethic. You can't control what happens around you. You can't control your skill set. You can't control what people say against you. You can't control your character. And I think in Daniel, we see a man of great character. Number three, number one is lead with love. Number two is live with character. Number three is lower yourself to serve. Daniel was a great servant. Think about this. He comes out of the lion's den. May you live forever, king. What? King Nebuchadnezzar had taken his name from him and gave him a name that, that, made his, that lowered him, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had taken him out of his home and exiled him. King Nebuchadnezzar had probably made him a eunuch. And if you know what that is, it is not a good thing. Yet Daniel serves him. He interprets dreams for him. He's always polite to him. He's always kind to him. He's always respectful. What is this? Daniel's a servant. Say, why does he choose to be a servant here? Why doesn't he choose to be bitter? Why doesn't he choose to be angry? Why doesn't he choose to rise up? He serves and he serves and he serves, even out of the lion's den. May you live forever, king. He serves. Why? This is why. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. This is Paul speaking. He says, although I am a free man, I'm free. Although I'm a free man, I am not anyone's slave. I have made myself. He's saying, I choose this. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order. Why? To win more people. Win more people what? To Jesus. To show people Jesus. What I love about Paul, Paul's my kind of dude because Paul is a big picture thinker. When it came to Paul, it wasn't about his ego. It's not about your feelings. And if you read Paul, it is definitely not about your feelings because he's mean sometimes. <laughs> but Paul says the reason we humble ourselves as Christians, the reason why we serve even a world that might be against us and hate us is that so hopefully they may see Jesus in us. People may attack you, right? But it's hard to say something bad. It's hard to keep attacking someone who just keeps serving me, right? Like, man, I hate Mike. I, I want to go against him. I want to say bad things about him, but he just keeps loving me, <laughs> He just keeps serving me. He keeps bringing me those stupid Starbucks gift cards, right? <laughs> it's hard to say something bad about someone who just keeps serving you, right? Keeps loving you, keeps humbling themselves. You say, so how do we do that? How do we serve people who maybe are, are against us or maybe disagree with us? Because 
you may think of, of this standing against culture as like a moment, like a moment where you have to take a stand. I think it's a lifestyle, right? How we live. And so how do we do that? How do we continually serve the world around us? This is how. In your families, in your relationships, at your work, be known as the person who shows up and makes things better. No agenda, don't want anything. I'm just going to show up and because I'm here, things are better. Let me tell you about a guy, like Tyler, who's back there today. Uh, you didn't know I was going to say this. He runs, uh, he runs all these slides. Great job, by the way. On the days that he's not working, he shows up and brings donuts. Now, that's a simple thing. That's a dude who shows up and makes things better. Am I right? Amen, right? Let me tell you about another guy. There's a guy here named Matt Stoddard. I, did, I told him I was going to talk about him today. He got real nervous. I didn't tell you the story. So Matt, when he first started coming to the river, um, he wanted to get involved and serve. And he said, man, I think I want to be a part of the band. And so he started working with the band and had some ideas on how to integrate them and get them in there. And the more we were going and going, it wasn't quite fitting. It wasn't quite working out. And so eventually came to the point where we're like, hey, man, let's, this isn't going to work out. Let's try to find something else. You know what most people would do in that situation? There's another church right down the street. They'll let me be in their band. You know what Matt did? He said, where else can I serve? Said, you know what? We got a great, we got a great need for someone to lead our indoor setup team. You interested? I'm on it, baby. And so every week for the last what year and a half now, Matt shows up, leads our indoor setup team. Like you would not know where to go if it wasn't for Matt. Like you walk in, like he's the guy that does the things that no one notices until they're not there, and you're like, where do I take my kids? Where do I take my kids? Right? You know what Matt does? He serves every single week. He shows up and makes things better, and we're better because of it. Thanks, Matt. We love you, man. That's the kind of person that I want to be as a Christian, right? I want people to say, like, I know people say, I want Matt on my team because when he shows up, he makes things better. I hope people say it about me. I want, I want Mike on my team because he shows up and makes things better, right? The greatest influence that you may have in your world, at your work, in your families, at your jobs, is not going to be what you say, but how you live. Like, I want to show you an example of this. Like, everybody hold your hands up like this. I saw this this week and I thought it was awesome. All right. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And we're going to, on one, two, three, go, we're going to clap. Ready? Let's try it. One, two, three, go. Ready? One, two, three, go. One, two, three, Go. What's wrong with you guys? Are you not, you're not paying attention? You're not listening? See, people, don't, people pay a whole lot more attention to what you do than what you say. Nobody can say amen on that, even the ones that got it wrong. <laughs> amen, brother, it's not my fault. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. The people who disagree with you, the people who are examining your life, the people who are going to, when you stand for Jesus, are going to knock you down. They're paying attention to the way you live your life. And they're going to pay a lot more attention than the way, like, you can tell somebody, I love you, man, I love you. And then it comes down to it and like, hey, where's Mike? He's out of here, right? Love is action, right? People are going to pay a whole lot more to what you do than what you say. So you can say you stand for Jesus. You can say you love Jesus. You can say you're a servant all you want. But are you a servant? Does it show in your actions? We've got to lead with character, lead with love. We've got to live with character. We've got to lower ourselves to be a servant. And we do all that for this right here. 1 Peter 3.15. 
this is the reason. This is why we do it. This is why we do the, all of this. You say, Mike, why can't we just rise up against culture? Why can't we just hate culture back? Why can't we just go off and hide off and, and not, you know, we just get out of here. We'll go up in a little mountain and nobody will see us. Why? This is why. This, this, this. First, first Peter 3, 15 through 18. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense of anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Check this out. A defense, yes. A defense of what? A reason, check this out. I love this. For the hope that is in you. I love the way it says that. That in our world, when, when there's people who are against us, they're standing against us, they're coming against us, but we just keep loving them. We just keep serving them. We keep lowering. We live with this incredible character. And as they're watching your life, they're examining your life. They look at you and they go, why do you love this way? Why do you live this way? How do you act this way? How are you, how are you able to do this? Like, I, I treat you so poorly and let you serve me. I treat you so poorly and let you love me. I, like, everyone around you doesn't have any character, and yet you continually stand with character. Why is that? <laughs> hey, well, let me tell you about the hope that is within me. Let me tell you about the reason why I can do that. Let me tell you about the hope that is within me. It's Jesus. Or like Daniel, Daniel, we threw you in that lion's den. How are you still alive? Well, let me tell you about my God who shut the mouths of the lions. What's your story? When people come to your life and they examine your life and they see that you're a man or a woman of character that, that is loving others around you, that's serving others around you, you're gonna have an incredible story to tell them. Let me tell you about the hope that is within me. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. See, we have a God who's been so good to us, don't we? Who's been so kind to us and we live in a culture and a world that does not understand that God. We live in a culture and a world that does not understand that Jesus. And the reason why we stand isn't just to stand for what is good and right, although that is part of it. The reason we stand is so that as they examine our lives and wonder why we're standing, that they will say, see Jesus in our lives. And we get the opportunity to share the hope that is within us. Jesus Christ, Savior, Redeemer, Healer. Am I right? And so... Let us show them Jesus. Let us live our lives in such a way that they see Jesus as we stand. Let us live in such a way that even when they hate us, when they disagree with us, we disagree with what we believe in, they will still ask, how? How can you live like this? How can you love like this? How can you serve like this? And our response is Jesus. And then maybe they'll get the opportunity to fall in love with that same Jesus. Like as you're telling someone, they say, hey, what is this hope that is within you? They'll say, Jesus. And then maybe eventually one day you'll be part of their story. <laughs> when someone comes to them and says, hey, how are you this way? And they say, well, let me tell you about this crazy person from this church called the River Church that meets in an elementary school. I was mean to them. I hated them. They kept serving me. They kept loving me. And then I asked them why, and they shared Jesus with me. And now my life has changed forever. I'll let you baptize them if you do it. That's why we live, that's why we stand. And I believe if we live like this, 
if we serve like this, if we love like this, we'll see salvations, we'll see hope, we'll see life change. And then maybe instead of being Christians who are just walking through an enduring culture, walking through and suffering through culture and feeling sorry for ourselves, maybe we'll be Christians who are impacting and changing culture to the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's stand together this morning, River Church, and let's worship our God for these truths. We're gonna sing one last song, and I just want you to, crowds, I want you to worship Him, and I encourage you to examine your own heart and say, how can I get better here, Jesus? Help me. What, what is the world around me seeing, Jesus? How can I show them you? How can I love better? How can I serve better? How can I, where's the areas that my character needs to be sewn up a little bit, Jesus? Help me, Holy Spirit, right? Let's pray and worship our God. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you save us from the lions. God, I pray this morning that you would help us be a church that lives with character. You would be a church that helps us serve, not just when it's easy, but serve everyone around us, God. Help us to be a church that lead with love. And I pray, I pray, I pray, God, that you'll give us opportunities to share the hope that is within us. It is Jesus Christ who has saved our souls. In Christ's name we pray, amen.